good to see you guys. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, you can work your way to the book of John, Gospel of John, John chapter 12, uh, as we kick off, do you have that on the screen there for me? Uh, we kick off uh, Palm, uh, Holy Week. We kick that off with Palm Sunday. This is uh, the pinnacle of our uh, church calendar. This is what Christianity is all about. As we step into this, uh, my prayer this week is that uh, you would, would just find new levels of communion with Christ uh, and, and just um, feel his presence more and more. So as you're turning to John chapter 12, um, anyone here ever have recurring dreams? We got a few, few recurring, okay, so I, I found out after last service that actually the dream that I'm going to share is, is one that, sh- sh- that many of you have. So uh, I have this recurring dream. I actually consider it more of a nightmare, um, and, and it used to happen a lot more frequently, uh, probably because of the timing of things, but uh, I had it a couple, like a month or so ago, and it wakes me up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I'm so glad that it's not true. But in this nightmare, I, I'm, I'm at, back at school. I don't know if I, I could be at CSU or I might even be at back at Denver Seminary or something like that. And it's late into the semester and I'm, I'm about to graduate and, and move on with my life. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but then I, I, it dawns on me like, oh no, I signed up for that like college algebra class at the beginning of the year, totally forgot, didn't go to any classes. And now it's the last week of school and I've got a final coming up uh, in a subject I have no idea about. But I have to pass it in order to get it. And, and it's so jarring to me, it wakes me up. I'm like, oh. And, and then I, like that moment of like confusion, like is that real? Do I have this test? Where, am I, I going to get Like that eventually evaporates. I'm like, oh, thank God, right? But uh, anyone ever have that dream? Like you, you missed the missed the. Okay, so we have a few. Uh, Marshall was telling me that he had the same exact dream, but um, it, it was it happened closer to when I was in school, like because you go high school and college and seminary, you're so in school for so long. When you're out, then all of a sudden, like that rhythm's not there. So that happened, but but it also happens to me when there's particular stress or anxiety or pressure in, in my life. Like this dream begins to just pop up again and again, and and I don't know what it means. Maybe some of you can interpret my dream, uh, like uh, like uh, who Joseph Joseph did the dreams in the Bible. Um, but none, nonetheless, it's just a reality that, uh, a reminder of the reality that we live on this side of, of eternity. We live in, man, stressful, uh, anxious, pressure-filled times. And just knowing every week when we gather and we proclaim these things and we sing these songs, it's a confession, it's a prayer, it's, it's a prayer of faith saying, in spite of what's going on in my life, in spite of the pressure, I'm going to proclaim what's true. But there's just a lot of burden that walks into these rooms. Like you, you, you might be in that place right now where you feel like there's a literal pressure on your chest because of something going on in your life. Maybe it's a health issue. And uh, you just like, the doctor called up and said, hey, uh, your test results are in, but we, you need to come in and talk to us about it. Like in that moment, like there's, a, there's an extra thickness to the room. It could be a relational issue, uh, maybe in your, your marriage or uh, boyfriend, gr- girlfriend, or with a friend or, or something where there, there's just stress and, and you, you feel like, man, I have to have this conversation. But just the idea, even the thought of having that conversation fills me with dread or worry. It could be a financial pressure issue. Like you just don't know how you're going to get to the end of, of the month and pay next month's bills. And so that feels uh, like, like an actual weight. And, and, and just in so many different ways, uh, there is 
pressure, stress, anxiety. And so the question for you, for me, is what do we do with that? How, how do we handle that in those moments that, that are so often in our lives? Uh, how, how, do we, how do we process that? And as a, as a human race, we don't process, process those things very well. We tend to run, we tend to hide, we t- tend to try to put things off. We might procrastinate, like you know you got to get that work project done, you know you got to do this or that, but, but the pressure is so much that you just procrastinate. So many of the ways that we handle the stress, anxiety, and pressure actually end up making things worse. Like, well, I just won't talk to that person anymore. Or I, 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 I know I need to uh, confront, I know I need to engage, but I, I'm just going to pull out there. I, I, I need to cope. I need, to, I need some me time. I, I'll just go play video games for 12 hours, even though I know I, I shouldn't, but I just, I just need to escape. Or I'll pull up the, my phone and, and just scroll through endless cycles of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever else comes up next. And when I get to the end of that, I'll start over and, and our... Our screen time shames us because we're, we're running, we're escaping. And again, there's, there's, there's ways that are really bad and ways that are just a little bit bad, but it, we all tend to run and hide. Some will say, well, I just need some, some me time, some downtime. I know I shouldn't watch that movie or that, that show. I'm going to just binge watch Netflix for eight hours because that's how I escape. Or I'll watch that movie and I know I shouldn't, but... But, but I just, I kind of, I just need a, a, a relief here. I'm going to have a drink or two or eight or nine or 12 to deal with the pressure and anxiety and stress that I'm feeling. I'm going to, I'm going to give in just this, just this one time. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm just going to consume pornography, you know, just, it's just only going to happen one more time, but just in this moment, and it's just, it's, it's how I run, how I escape. Or my, my marriage is hard and, and I, I, just, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. I, I think I'm going to look for an out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just run away from it. But this, is, this is how we often in, in unhealthy ways uh, deal with the pressure in the room, the anxiety, the stress of life, which, which makes Palm Sunday all the more striking to us. If you could imagine in your life all the pressure, maybe you're going through it right now, all the stress, all the anxiety, but, but not just what you're going through now, but your whole life in, in, in all ways, relationally, financially, health, uh, all ways just be culminating into one moment, one week in your life. Like you couldn't even imagine surviving that moment, right? But if you can imagine all of life's pressure coming to you in one moment, then you'll get the slightest, tiniest, teeniest little glimpse of what Jesus is stepping into on Palm Sunday. And unlike us, Jesus doesn't run from it. He runs to it. He enters it. He faces it. And he accomplishes what we most desperately need. And, and, and don't just think, well, that's because he's God. He can do that. He is truly God who can handle all things, but he is truly man as well. He's going to say in this passage that his soul is in anguish. It's, it's not that he's somehow a superhero and, and can handle things that you and I can't handle. He was truly human, and yet he didn't run. He didn't hide. He embraced. He took on the anxiety of the world, all of the world. So we can't even imagine what we're going through right now or the culmination of our lives, but can you imagine the weight of the universe and history on his shoulders? 
And this is what's striking about, uh, about Palm Sunday. So if you have your Bible, uh, John chapter 12 is where we're going to be at this morning. I'll pick it up in verse 12, but I want us to, to just imagine being Jerusalem, March 29th, 33 AD. And this is where the text picks, picks us up. It says, verse 12, the next day, the, lar- the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So let's, let's stop. What, what's going on in this moment? It says, it's called the feast. It was the, the like, like us for this week, Holy Week. For the Jewish people, this was the, their Holy Week. This was Passover. This was a, a time of feasting and celebration. It was a time of looking back and longing to look forward to what God was going to do. So the, the crowd would gather and they would come from all over Palestine and, and the Roman world and they would, they would flood into the city. So think of a city about the size of Parker that normally has about 40,000 people in it, it would balloon six times that to about 250, 260,000 people would come in from all over and it was just packed. And there was excitement, there was an energy in the air, right? Like on Friday, Rick and I got to go to opening day of the Rockies. And uh, the Rockies are going to be terrible this year, but on opening day, everybody's in first place. So there's hope, there's optimism, there, there's excitement, we're, we're kicking this off, and we, we got to go there, and we're in the crowd, and there's hot dog sales vendors, and there's people playing music, and, and, and everyone's got their jerseys on, and they're excited about it. And, and we're outside of Coors Field, and in that, in that little space right there, uh, there's probably maybe 5,000 people. But, but here in Jerusalem, there's 240,000 people. There's an electricity and excitement to the air. And on the surface, it looks pretty good. But it doesn't take much to just look below the surface that there is there's some real tension. It's, it's kind of a powder keg. This thing could go up at any moment. So the crowd has gathered and they're, they're, they're looking back at, at that time when, when God had miraculously intervened and, and, and delivered his people from slavery out of Egypt through Moses, through these plagues, and ultimately through the plague of, of the firstborn son. And, and the way that they were able to escape that plague was they had to go get a lamb. They had to sacrifice that lamb, a spotless, blemishless lamb, take the blood of that lamb, put it on the doorpost of their home, and that destroying angel would pass over the houses with the blood of the lamb. So Palm Sunday, we, we know it as Palm Sunday, but it wasn't called Palm Sunday in 33 AD. They would have known it as Selection Sunday. This would be the moment where if you travel from a long distance, you couldn't bring your lamb with you. So you would find uh, the, 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 the money changers and you'd find the, the farmers who brought their lambs into the city full of 240,000 people. And you'd be looking for the perfect spotless lamb so that you could sacrifice and make this offering to God. And in so doing, it's a prayer, a begging of God. Lord, do in us now what you did back then. Deliver us from the oppression. Deliver us from the, the, the pressure, the anxiety, everything that we're facing, all the brokenness of this world. Lord, we're believing you. We're trusting you to do that. So they're longing. They're looking. And, and, and in this time, they, they would often, whatever, whoever rabbi, whatever person would kind of raise up and, and make a name for themselves, they would ask the question, is this the Messiah? Is this the one that's going to deliver us? And there's this rumor amongst the crowd that there's this rabbi named Jesus, and he's not like the other rabbis. He speaks as one with authority. Some say that he's done miracles. 
Some say that he turned water into wine, that, that he, he multiplied fishes and loaves, that he raised uh, just a few days ago a guy that would have been dead for four days named Lazarus from the tomb. And, and when they read their scriptures, they say the Messiah will do these kind of things. And they're, they're wondering, they're questioning, and they're, they're being oppressed by the Romans. And, and they're just longing for relief. And so maybe, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the king that will finally set us free. So you, you feel the anticipation. So that's what the crowd is feeling. Well, what are the disciples feeling in this moment? As they roll into Jerusalem and the crowd turns and, and starts singing the praise of Jesus, the disciples are feeling pretty good. Well, we know that the disciples, like you and me, they like to be well thought of. They like to have their name out there. They, they, they'd like to get followers on, on their Twitter and Instagram account. They like all that stuff. And so when Jesus is on the front, they're, they're, they're not the guy, but they're with the guy. So they're, they're with the entourage. I imagine they got a little, you know, a little swag, a little gangster lean as they're, they're rolling. Like, yeah, what's up? We're rolling up into Jerusalem. We're going to be raining. And they're feeling good, right? So that's what they're feeling. That's what the crowd's feeling. Well, what is the Romans feeling? The Romans, though they ruled the Roman world with an iron fist, they didn't have enough soldiers in any one place to quell a rebellion. And not a rebellion of these religious fanatics that have grown from 40,000 to 240,000 that could, that could rise up in a moment and kill all the Roman soldiers. So they're nervous. Oh, they know that Rome would roll in and, and destroy the place if they did something like that, which they will do in 39 years from this date. They'll ro roll into Jerusalem because the people of Israel eventually have enough and try to have a revolt. But in this moment, the, the soldiers are nervous. The, the Roman authorities are very, very nervous. This is a powder keg about to blow up. And so they put pressure on the, the Jewish religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. They say, you need to get this under control. We're going to allow you to worship your God. We're going to allow you to have your festivals, but you need to control your own people. And so what are the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin thinking about Jesus? Well, he threatens everything they have. He threatens their families. He threatens their, their lifestyle. He threatens, he threatens their power, their position, their authority. He threatens their religious beliefs. There, there was a belief at the time that, uh, that the Messiah would not come as long as there's blasphemy in the land. And this guy, Jesus, had called himself God, and that's blasphemy. And so uh, they, they had wanted posters up around Jerusalem for Jesus. They needed to squash this guy. This is, this is what's just below the surface. There's a lot of tension in this moment. And so Jesus steps into it, and it says the crowd responds, verse 13. So they took the branches of palm trees... And went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're like, this is it. Hosanna, that means save us now, Lord. Not in the future, not, not uh, some uh, spiritual way. Right now, save us, deliver us. From who? The Romans. Save us, Lord. And they're waving palm branches. This was a nationalistic symbol for Israel. They're saying, we are Israel. We're, this is, we are here. Hosanna, come deliver us. We're, this, is, this is our moment we've been praying, waiting for. We're waiting for the king of Israel. They're stoked. Which makes 14 so shocking. Verse 14, so, so strange. Jesus comes into Jerusalem in this scene. And it says, and Jesus... 
found a young donkey and sat on it. He found a young donkey. We're going to see this is partially because it's a fulfillment of Scripture, but was Jesus like, hey guys, I was reading the scroll of the Torah last night. I found this verse. I think if I get a donkey, I can fulfill this. No, that's not what he's thinking here. Jesus comes in. He is the Messiah. He is the promised king. But you would expect a promised king to find a white horse. Think Aragorn. Someone with authority, with power, with a sword. And Jesus comes and he finds a donkey. But, but John's very clear. It's not just a donkey. See, donkeys back then are not like our, our donkeys now. They're smaller. But it's not just a donkey. It's a baby donkey. A young donkey. I mean, Jesus, if he was average height then, he would have been about five foot two. So he's, t- he's short anyway. But, but a baby donkey, he would have just like put his leg over. Like, okay, he had to lift up his, his leg to try to not drag it on the ground. And this poor little donkey is like rolling up into Jerusalem. And, this, and the crowd's like, he's the king. He's the, Hosanna, save us now. One, one of the gospels says that he had to actually have two donkeys. Two baby donkeys. Like I, like I heard this week, that's a half-ass parade. Like you have to... <laughs> it's, it's, it's meant... The scene in your mind should be ridiculous. It should make you laugh. And, and there should be like, what... Even the king of Israel, why is this guy riding a donkey? A donkey. Well, again, if, if he's a conquering king, he comes on a white horse. In fact, we see this in the book of Revelation. He's coming again on a white horse. And he has a sword, a sword that comes out of his mouth. I mean, he's, that, that's what they were expecting, but that's not how he came the first time. Why? Because he came as a humble, peaceable king. And praise God for that. If he came as a conquering king the first time on the white horse with the sword to destroy his enemies, who would he destroy? The crowd would point to the Romans and be like, there you go, Lord, there's your enemies. But the Bible's very clear. All of us in thought, word, and deed have rebelled against this king. We, in and of ourselves, are the enemies of this king. If Jesus rolled up on a white horse the first time he came, we'd be all done. We'd all be finished. He would vanquish us forever, but he's a peaceable king. Thank you. (laughs) He's a humble king. He gets on the donkey, the ridiculous baby donkey to show, I've come to bring peace to you. That's why when he quotes Zechariah 9.9, it starts off, fear not. We don't have to fear because he didn't come to destroy us, but to save us. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, on a baby donkey. Praise God, he came as a peaceable, humble king, not to destroy his enemies, but to rescue and redeem them. This is not a king that anyone expected. In spite of the fact that Jesus had been with these guys for three years and had told them on repeat, I've come to lay down my life. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to be raised again. They had no category for this. It was just, we don't understand what you're saying. They only had the category of the conquering king and Messiah. And so in, in verse 16, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. 
But when Jesus was glorified after his death, burial, and resurrection, then they remembered what these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They didn't expect it. The religious leaders certainly didn't expect this kind of Messiah or they wouldn't have put him to death. Yet God is sovereign over that. The world doesn't expect this. The world doesn't have a category for a king that is humble, a peaceable king. The world doesn't have a category for an upside-down kingdom that finds strength through weakness. And yet Jesus says on repeat, this is what my kingdom's like. This is what my people are like. They get low so that I can bring them high. But Jesus understood. Jesus understood all that he was going through. And so there was pressure, there was stress, there was all the anxiety. He knew that each day was going to get worse and worse as he moved toward Good Friday. I don't know what's going on. You can just turn my my mic down. Um, Verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. Or could be translated in anguish. Again, Jesus was a Truly a man and truly God. He's anguished in his humanity. He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I mean, again, that's what we would be looking for. How do I get out of this? How do I avoid this pain? How do I avoid this pressure? How do I avoid this persecution? How do I avoid the stress and anxiety in this moment? And he even asks the question, is that what I should say? How do I get out of this? Should I turn around? We'll just wrap this up. We we're God. We can create new, new humanity. We don't have to do this. But praise God, that's not how Jesus operates. Jesus only and always operates with one singular focus, and that is, well, we'll see it, the glory of God. It says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This hour starts on Palm Sunday. It, it is this hour that he's talked about throughout John's gospel that, where, where he is fulfilling all that he came for. This is why Christmas exists for this hour, for Palm Sunday and the days that follow. He says, Father, glorify your name. That's what Jesus' modus operandi was. Whatever it is, in thought, word, and deed, I want to glorify the Father. He's not seeking self-preservation. He's seeking to magnify the grace and glory and mercy and majesty, holiness of God And so the Father speaks. Only three times in the Gospels do we hear the audible voice of the Father. But we see this in verse 28. It says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus doesn't do what we would do. He doesn't try to seek an escape or some me time or get alone and get away from the stress and anxiety. He's stepping into it. And every day he steps into it, it gets a little bit heavier, a little bit harsher, And that's how we lead up to Good Friday and eventually Easter. Well, what what would God have for us at Redemption Park? For you, for me as a church, for us individually, regardless of what we're going through. I know in this room there, there is a lot that people are going through a lot. Why would God bring us in this moment to Holy Week? Well, I think I think Holy Week is an invitation for us to slow down, to ponder, to to walk with Jesus to pray. This is why we wanted to be very intentional this year. We wanted to give you some resources. If you go to redemptionparker.org, there's some resources online that each day there's, a, there's like a four or five minute video that just says, here's what happened on Monday. Here's, here's, the, here's the confrontation that Jesus had with these people on Monday. And here's what happened on Tuesday. Here's Wednesday, Thursday in the upper room with his disciples, Friday on the cross, Saturday, Holy Saturday. What happened then? 
It's only like one verse in all of the Bible that describes what was going on on that Saturday. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday. So we want you to just take some time. Take five, ten minutes a day to walk through that. There's, if you want to go deeper, there's also scriptures that will, on the website that will walk you through Holy Week. Also, we're, we're going to gather to pray for one another, for our neighbors, for the nations, uh, online each night starting tonight up through Thursday at 8 o'clock. We'd love for you to do that. So the first thing I think God would have for us is to ponder, to, to pause, to pray. The other thing is as we ponder, pause, and pray, we are called to, to look at Jesus. Just look at him and, and see his courage, his determination, his unshakable desire to put on display the glory of God and let that stir our worship, our praise. We ponder, we pray, we praise God. See, Jesus, as he's walking into Holy Week, he knows what, how this thing ends. He knows all that he'll go through. That's why his soul is troubled. But he knows that it's necessary for you and for me. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He knows that his death, will, his ultimate death will bring ultimate life to his people. That he has to die, go into the ground, and be resurrected so that he would bust open the doors for us to come into life. Jesus embraced the ultimate death so that you and I could embrace our own good death. Like, well, what are you talking about? What's a good death? I, I heard this story this week about a guy in his 60s. He, he had climbed six of, of the seven tallest peaks in the world. And he had only one left, the, the big one, Everest. And so he got to go. It was his ultimate bucket list. And he got to go. And, and long story short, he eventually got up there. And as he's at the peak, it, taking that in, which so, so few of us will ever actually see ourselves, he got to take that in. But he started feeling uh, sick. And that's not uncommon at that, at that altitude. But they bring him down to 2,000 feet to what's called Hillary Step. It's a flat area. And, and he just gets worse and worse. He eventually has a heart attack. And he dies. And on one level, I say, that's a good death, right? Like, like that's, that's how I want to go out. I want to go out. Man, people would be like, dude, he, he climbed the last mountain that he wanted to climb, and then he came down, and he died. That's a good death. But Jesus is the ultimate death. His death busts open the, 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 the doors and, and opens the way for us. Jesus is consumed about the glory of God. So let's ask this question on Holy Week. How does Jesus glorify God during Holy Week? What is it that is like, man, that, that just puts on display the glory of God? Well, I, I have three things. I'll put them up here on the screen. Ways that Jesus glorifies the Father in Holy Week. First one is Jesus uh, embraced the, the rejection of man and the Father that we might be accepted by God. None of us like to be rejected by each other. Certainly none of us want to be rejected by God, but that, both of those things happen. Isaiah 53, 3 tells us that he was rejected and despised by men as one whom people hide their face. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gets rejected. He embraces the rejection so that you and I could be accepted to God. 
Number two, uh, Jesus embraced the judgment of man and the Father that we might receive the righteousness of God. He stands before people like Pontius Pilate, knowing that at any moment he could stop this charade of a trial and nonetheless he receives the judgment of man and on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness and he glorifies the Father. Number three, Jesus embraced death to destroy death and brings us eternal life. He embraced death to destroy death. He embraced the ultimate death, the good death, to give us life. And now we can, we can die a good death. Not just physically, but daily. Look at what it says, uh, verse 25. Whoever loves this life loses it. Whoever hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Because Jesus' ultimate death, he's paved the way for us to die a good death. And what I mean by that is, uh, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, The good death that you and I must embrace is the death of self. We've got to lay down our lives and say, I take everything I know of me and I give it to you that I might have life and have it to the full. But that's not just a one-time thing. Way back when I laid down my life and I died a good death to self. This is a daily thing. This is a daily challenge. Today, will you lay it down your life for the glory of God and the good of the people around you? Will you lay down your life in your marriage? Will you lay down your life in your own plans and your finances and in every other way? Will you say, Jesus, because you died and rose again and you offer abundant life, I lay down my life that I might have life and have it to the full. Jesus embraced rejection, judgment, even death so that we might be accepted saved, and have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So church, let us walk into this week marveling at Jesus that he has made the way. He died the good death that we might live a good life. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Jesus, thank you that you aren't like us. You didn't run but you, away from your mission, but towards it. You ran toward the cross. The death we deserved, you took on yourself. Lord, let us marvel at the way you teach this week, the way you point us to the kingdom, the way you love, the way you pour out your love on the cross. And ultimately, Lord, even as we gather this time next week, as you conquered death in the grave, that we might have life and have it to the full. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.